0: And now your host, Vena Jones-Cox.
1: Good evening, Real Life Real Estate Investor listeners. My name is Drew White, though Vina, you'll hear Vena referred to me as Mr. Drew. And I'm here this evening because Vina is somewhere doing something else. So I'm sitting in tonight. Uh, I hope you enjoy the experience as much as I will. So tonight, just to, just to start things off in a weird way, we're going to do something a little unusual uh, which is that we're going to start the show with a breaking news segment. Uh, Mike, I assume that you have an audiographic lined up for that in some way, some kind of crashing, thunderous... <laughs> He's tapping away the touch screen, trying to fulfill that need. <laughs> Oh, a gasp. Okay. Um, so there's there's a good reason for this, uh, which is that a suit was filed in federal court today, the outcome of which could affect the rights of property owners throughout Ohio and throughout the nation. Uh, To tell us more about this, we have Maurice Thompson, who is the executive director of the public interest law firm 1851 Center for Constitutional Law. Maurice is a frequent guest here on Real Life Real Estate and filed the suit today in partnership with the Ohio Real Estate Investors Association and others. Hey, Maurice, thank you for joining
2: us. Hi, Drew. Good to be with you.
1: Good. So let's let's start out. Can you first give us an overview of what this suit is all about?
2: Sure. We're challenging what are called point-of-sale requirements or pre-sale requirements. Um, and anybody listening to this show either is painfully familiar with what those are or has no idea what those are, depending on where you live or if you're an investor, where you might invest or own property. So these are requirements that a government, you know, city government perform an inspection before you can sell your home. And if you sell the home without the inspection, well, that's serious crime on par with a DUI that can land you in jail for up to six months and can lead to fines of thousands and thousands of dollars. So most people get the inspection. The problem is the inspection is warrantless. Cities don't get warrants, and they couldn't get warrants if they wanted to to perform these inspections. Uh, they basically say, you know, "Let us do the inspection, or you can't sell the house, or you can't occupy the house." So it, it ends up violating the Fourth Amendment to the United States Constitution, on its face, flagrantly. So we filed suit against two cities that do this: Bedford up in the Cleveland area, and Oakwood down in the Dayton area.
1: So, as as I understand it, you're saying that this is both like a a, a pre-sale requirement and a pre-occupancy. So I can't sell the house, or rent it, do I understand that correctly, without some bureaucrat's permission?
2: Yeah, you know, the the code's actually a little bit ambiguous in both cities and, and in most of the cities that have these, but the, the crux is that you cannot do either. You can't sell the house without government coming in and doing a, a, an inspection. By the way, they're pretty intrusive inspections. They basically are inspections of every square inch of the property, inside and out and they're not just for health and safety and that's really one of the big issues here. These inspections are for color uh, and color consistency throughout the house inside and out. They're about whether you might have cracks in the asphalt of your driveway. Uh, They're about architectural design, whatever that even means and (laughs) architectural appearance and orderly appearance is one of the criteria for these searches and the idea is if you don't get and pass this inspection you either can't sell your house or you can sell your house in some limited circumstances but nobody can live in it.
1: That's appalling, frankly, sir. That's appalling. So, dare I say when you win, uh what what will this mean to, you know, landlords and people trying to sell their home and, and kind of the 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 real estate community in general?
2: Well, this is an important case for every Ohioan because these requirements apply to every sale of a home in the cities that have these laws. So it doesn't matter if it's a, um, you know, $1 million single family home in a very affluent neighborhood. These restrictions apply just like they apply to somebody who's an investor, whether it's a landlord or a house flipper or a wholesaler or, whatever the the real estate business might be, and in fact, they apply to realtors. if the realtor doesn't basically snitch on her client, his or her client, they can also be charged with the first degree misdemeanor. So you know after we beat these things, what it means is that it's one less restriction on the real estate market. You know we have a sticky market and this hurts lots of people. If you lose your job and you need to sell your house and move. You can't do that in a city with a pre sale or a point of sale inspection requirement for a lot of extra time. If you find a willing buyer who is very informed about, you know, or even moderately informed, or even hires their own private inspector and wants to buy your house, even if it, say, needs a paint job, you can't sell your house to that person until you go through the city process. It's slow, and in many cases, it's very, very costly. Uh, the city comes in and forces uh, thousands of dollars in improvements that neither the buyer or the seller needs under the transaction and prevents the transaction until it goes through. So it's a big deal to beat these things, and even though they're not in every city in Ohio, it's a big deal to beat them because they spread. These kinds of uh, regulatory ideas tend to spread Mm -hmm. from city to city, and they, they could be everywhere someday if we don't stop them now.
1: No, I, I can, I concur completely. So let me, I, I, you know, I've got an ignorant layman's understanding of this. So this is an Ohio issue, but you filed in federal court and how might that transform into a more national issue? Is, is that why this is fed, filed in federal court?
2: Sure. Um, that, that's right. This is an Ohio issue, but, um, Cities outside of Ohio certainly do have these restrictions. The Ohio Supreme Court has already said that they're unconstitutional uh, years and years ago. The Ohio cities just ignored that, so we've gone to federal court, arguing that they're unconstitutional under the Fourth Amendment, which prevents unreasonable searches and seizures of houses. And this is an unreasonable search of a house. The the nice part about using the federal Constitution. Is that a federal court will have to say these searches are unconstitutional under the federal constitution, which would have persuasive influence throughout the nation, not just in Ohio. I would,
1: I would certainly hope so. So that's this is really wonderful. I mean, I, I frankly, I didn't realize that these existed in Ohio. I've, I've spoken to people from other states where you just expect this kind of central politburo planning of everything but uh, i am distressed to learn that uh that these even exist here and uh, but i'm relieved to learn that you are on the case and uh and gonna gonna you know put them back on their heels um so how might interested listeners find out more about you and the 1851 center and the good work that you do
2: Probably the best way is to visit our website, it's ohioconstitution.org, and we've got a press release that describes this case in greater detail. We also always post our filings on that website, so anybody that's really interested at at that degree can go read the complaint, read the motion for preliminary injunction, kind of learn the law. And it is interesting law, Uh, since 2013, the U.S. Supreme Court really has gotten better on the Fourth Amendment, believe it or not, and uh, specifically in going back to the beginnings, back to the roots, and acknowledging that it's a property rights-based amendment that prohibits trespass uh, onto one's house to search for anything, including code violations. So uh, it's actually pretty interesting, at least to people like me. Um, So you can read about that at OhioConstitution.org, follow us on Facebook, and we'll continue to provide updates and interviews and other details on this case.
1: Excellent. Hey, Maurice, I want to thank you so much for, for stopping by, as it were, and uh, and giving us an update. And I would like to just invite you to, uh, to come back and tell us more about the case as it progresses. Can you do that? You bet. All right. Thank you very much, sir. That's Maurice Thompson of the 1851 Center for Constitutional Law, which is a public interest law firm. We'll be back right after this with more real-life real estate investing. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. My name is Mr. Drew. I'm sitting in for Vena Jones Cox, who dropped you guys like an ugly date at prom when she found something more interesting to do. So back to kind of our regularly scheduled program. I am joined here by Real Life Real Estate regular Jim Shapiro, um, who is going to be discussing uh contract management or contractor pardon me management with us today. Um Jim is coming at this from a little different angle than some of the names that we know in this field, like uh, Robin Thompson or Jerry Fink, who've been on the show before talking about rehabs for resale, like rehabbing houses for resale. In the rental property business, any money we spend on repairs or upgrades is actually a true investment. In other words, you don't get the money back immediately by selling the property. There's just a return on that investment over time. So Jim, first of all, welcome to the program. And how does this change what you look for in a contractor?
3: Hey, Drew, it's nice to be on again. I'm not sure it changes so much what you're looking for in a contractor as as some of the decisions you might make because you want to be making decisions in a rental environment. For what's going to last a long time and be able to take the use and abuse by tenants and give you a good return on the investment. Sometimes it's doing things differently and maybe at a higher level or a different level than you might do for a retail because a retail buyer probably won't abuse their house. You might be putting in higher higher end products in a retail uh, for a resale and with a a tenant. What we really look for is contractors that'll do a good job the first time, at a fair price, and stand behind their work.
1: Yeah, yeah. Amen to that. In in my own business, I I refer to what you're talking about as bulletproofing. Right. And I don't mean that literally, of course, or anything like that. But you know, the even the simple things need to be kind of ruggedized. Not just. I'm not saying every tenant is abusive, but. There does tend to be more wear and tear, and it's all about kind of how long whatever component that is lasts to my mind because
3: that's my actual return sometimes it's even you know little things uh doorknobs you know you can buy the store and buy a nine dollar doorknob set, but they break they mm-hmm. don't take abuse and it's in a rental home it's worth paying twenty five dollars for a quick set that'll stand up to years of use mm-hmm. than the than the five dollar defiant that might last six months. Especially in an apartment where there's could be you know lots of people going in and out. It might get ten times the use in a year that a homeowner would give something like that. Yeah. And it's just one of the things in in that decision, the biggest cost isn't the product, it's the person going to install it. Oh absolutely. And so if you're gonna send a contractor once By the time you set the contractor a second time to service the cheap part you bought, if you bought a quality part the first time, you're probably 50% ahead.
1: Yeah. Okay. Well, so what are the most important things people need to know about actually screening the contractors? Because we all know about screening tenants, right? I use
3: the same approach. Really? We look at you know the better – well, we we add Better Business Bureau. We don't do that for our tenants. Mm -hmm. Uh, I look at uh, court records. I want to know if they've been sued. Uh, I was screening some contractors for some concrete work, and and I found that they were in court three or four times a year. Now, I expect a contractor that's been doing business for a long time to have been sued at some point.
1: Sure. Sure. Sure, I'm, and that's just, that's okay. he, he could be the best guy in the world, and something's someone's going to be unhappy, or overly litigious, or misunderstanding, that's or right. what have you, yeah.
3: The one that's got three and four cases a year, <laughs> now that's a different story.
1: That's a, a warning sign, you would that's say? That's
3: a warning sign, and, and uh, one fellow uh, had three negatives at the Better Business Bureau, and he'd never responded to them, and I said, well, what were they about? And he said, oh, I was so busy, I couldn't deal with it. It's like, gee... You know, you've got customers who are reporting you to the most visible agency yeah. in the business, and you're, you're, it's not important enough to you to respond. Um, and then I heard from other people, and, and he just had a terrible reputation. Sure. And it's just a, it's, we're going to spend a lot of money with these guys. I recently uh, started working for an owner from California who bought a house in Fairmount, Mm-hmm. Spent two hundred fifty thousand dollars renovating a building. It's actually a six-unit.
1: Okay, you 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 started my heart again when you said that. Yes,
3: uh, and he had no idea what Fairmont was like. Sure. One of his contractors stole about seven, You know, ripped him off for about seventy-five thousand dollars, and never did the work. Yeah. And he finally sent his own crew from California to live in the building and finish it for a month, because he couldn't. And he was he was working. He was attempting to manage a project from 3,000 miles away without being there, and without knowing these people. Uh, had he known what he was doing, he wouldn't have spent $300,000 on this property in Fairmount. Sure. Uh, although he, it's the nicest building in Fairmount now.
1: I, I believe that. I, uh, <laughs> I once came, wh- I was looking at, a, this was just a single family home, and I was talking to the seller who lived out of state, and she had kind of fallen into a similar trap where she she bought the house she had never seen it, she bought it at an auction or you know from a some some mechanism where she didn't actually have to lay eyes on it and then she decided to handle the whole thing by remote control. She was going to be her own general contractor by remote control, so she just uh found a guy on Craigslist and wired him money <laughs> to to do the work wired him like forty grand and he Of course, well, maybe not of course, but perhaps one would say predictably, um, he disappeared with the money. And she was like, wow, he was a crook and he ripped me off. So she found another one the same way, wired him about $25,000, and he began the work at least before he disappeared. And then she was like, but a minute for all this money. And I'm like, this has nothing to do with... You know, the, with the property, this is not how you handle contractors. And the the idea of trying to handle that thing from hundreds or thousands of miles away kind of hurts my insides a little bit somehow.
3: I, I see that all the time. I had a caller from Africa, mm-hmm. uh, bought a house off of Craigslist or eBay for about $3,000 and... A one bedroom house also in Fairmount, incidentally. And when I went to see it, I said, This house probably needs fifteen or twenty thousand at work to be livable. There was no kitchen, there was no bathroom, the walls were falling down, the electric was gone, the plumbing was gone, the roof you know, it did have glass block windows. Nice. And uh and she said, Wow, I didn't expect it to be so much You know, and I actually hooked her up with someone else who's gonna buy it from her and He's a handyman. He'll fix it himself. Yeah. Uh, she just had no real idea what she, you know, what she was getting into, which goes to a couple of the things, you know, contractors. One is uh, paying in advance. Uh huh. I generally don't pay in advance,
1: mm-hmm.
3: or I'll pay for materials in advance that I that I pay for. Although some people say that's a mistake. You shouldn't pay for materials. There's a back and forth on that. Yeah. The and I wanna I want him delivered to the house or I wanna know that they're at the house, and then I wanna see work done before I pay for labor. The idea that I'm gonna give a contractor twenty five or thirty three or fifty percent of a project cost before he's done anything, it's just kinda of on its face silly. Sure. And and well, I want to make sure that they're not going to use the money I'm giving them to pay for the job that they the are last finishing job. Yeah. next Amen. week. That's the classic and then scenario. Because they, they already used the money that owner paid to finish the job before, and they won't be able to finish my job till they ne- get the next job lined up because they're going to spend my money on someone else's property. Yeah. So there's one of the rules in contracting is is
1: just don't pay in advance. Don't well, pay in advance or, and, 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 what, and,
3: what, and go see what's being done.
1: Yeah, Um, Let me say something about that, because I know know the laws pretty clearly here in Ohio, and I believe that they are similar in most of the states of the union. And, I mean, the debate with the contractor always is, well, you don't want to give me a bunch of money in advance because you don't know me. But I also don't want to do all this work without getting paid in advance because I don't know you. But in most states putting a mechanics lien on a piece of property is easy and cheap and requires basically no burden of proof whatsoever. And then it is up to you as the owner of the property that has been leaned to go into court and defend against that lien. So it is weighted very much in the contractor's favor, and that is apparently a deliberate effort on the part of the legislature believing that the the little contractor guy the little independent contractor is going to have fewer resources perhaps than some big property owner or project manager or corporation that he's doing the work for so i'm not necessarily knocking that but i point that out to them and say you have ample ways of enforcing that you get paid you know if i don't pay you you can lean my property and damage my reputation. The opposite is not true.
3: That's absolutely the case. And I'm a property manager, I'm a realtor, I'm involved in the community. I tell them I'm a responsible individual. I'm managing hundreds of houses and apartments. I will I will be here and I will I will be responsive. You know I guess you could if you wanted to really, you know, handle it get an attorney or somebody a third party to, to the hold money the money and and, and yeah. do that. Uh you can show them here's the money in my bank account. And and you could do progress payments. I mean, you could say you know, especially with smaller contractors, Friday's payday for their staff. I'll go pay them on Friday sure. for the work that I see done. I do draws, yeah. And and I and, and the 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 conventional wisdom is, you know, two or three draws for the whole job. When you're working with a smaller company, that's not always feasible. If you're working with a big, responsible company who's probably got bigger overhead and bigger, deeper pockets, they might be able to put up for for three or four weeks of payroll without getting money. Mm-hmm. But a lot of us investors and and are working with smaller guys. Yeah, and they they can't do that. But go in on Friday and look at the work and say you know. We're not really, I think you're about this far along. It's not an exact science. It's an sure. estimate. And as you do more and more of them, you get more and more, you get better at it. Yeah. And if you work with contractors for a while, you know, you start to develop some relationships. My contractor, my main guy I've been working with for 12 years. Yeah. You know. And, yeah. And, and it's he been does, a long time. And I don't have to worry that he's not going to finish a job because mm-hmm. we've done literally – Hundreds or thousands of jobs yeah and and every week we do a five six thousand dollar payroll mm-hmm. if I was start when I was starting out, I did things differently when I was starting out. I was getting multiple bids i was doing you know written contracts with detailed statements of work i was doing lien waivers at every payment which is the right way to do it and when you're
1: well uh, we're gonna we're gonna dig into that that's actually the next question on my agenda something about that uh we need to take a a quick break so mike can sell some stuff i guess um if you'd like to call in with a question the the numbers here in the studio inside the cincinnati area are 513-772-9658 if you're calling from outside the area, you can call toll-free at 877-772-9658. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I am Mr. Drew. I'm sitting in for Vina while she's enjoying driving through the Indiana countryside. Um I am joined by frequent real life real estate guest Jim Shapiro, who is in talking to us today about the care and feeding of contractors. So, Jim, you mentioned contracts. I mean, they all are called contractors, right? Um, so what about contracts? Do you use them still? Do you recommend that others use them? Kind of give us. I know you've been in this a long time, right? right? So give us what you do every day and what other people should do every day.
3: What I what I what other people should do every day is something I still do whenever I'm working with a new contractor, mm-hmm. uh, or something unusual, uh, a bigger you know, a bigger job, uh, a more complicated job, uh, or not a contractor that I've been using for years. Uh, I use a contract. That's why they're called contracts and contractors. And, you know, one speaker, I remember saying the uh, first three letters is a key word, con. <laughs> There's a lot of con men out there. Indeed. And the contract is what prevents the con man from getting over on you. So, and they do it all the time. So, I and, and I have heard more horror stories. I've known people that got out of the investing business because, uh, they had so many losses because of the contractor problems they had. Mm-hmm. I talk I hear people tell me horror stories all the time. So picking good contractors is really a key to the success because we spend a lot of money on, on these guys. They're the and if they go over budget unexpectedly or unacceptably, we're the ones paying and we're the ones whose all of a sudden our margins aren't there for that property. To, whether it's a sale or a rental mm-hmm. and i'm not sure there's real a real big difference in how you manage the contractors from a rental property or a resale property bigger differences is how you rehab them sure but the the process is the same so we use a contract the contract should be you know all the well
1: late. let me interrupt you with a question real quick because i've had contractors say well i've got one right here you know who provides the contract in your scenario
3: uh, I think the person who's paying the money provides the contract or has wow. the right to provide the contract. If I'm paying, I get Golden to say, rule. Yes. it's my contract. If you don't like my contract, then you don't have to do my work because okay. I'm the one who's paying you. Uh, one of the key things in my contract is uh, penalties for failure to complete on schedule. Uh, if there is a – because I find if they know there's a $100 a day penalty for not doing my job and it's supposed to be finished next Friday – mhm. And they're trying to decide between doing my job or doing someone else's job, and his doesn't have a hundred-dollar pay penalty. They're going to be on my job, and I've had them tell me that. I've had contractors say the reason I'm finishing your job first is you've got a penalty clause in the contract that I I want to I don't want to pay penalties. I don't want to lose, you know, five hundred dollars or a thousand dollars for taking two weeks longer. I'll let the other job wait two weeks.
1: Now I've heard some people say that if you're going to charge a penalty for late work, you should bonus work that is done early. What's your What's your feeling about that? I have an opinion myself, but I don't know if I've ever heard you state one.
3: No, I, I haven't really. I've never been asked that question before. I, I. I'm so happy to put you on the spot. My, my idea of bonusing people is giving them more business and giving them referrals. And I have these guys that have been working for me year after year. They do work for a lot of other people. Mm -hmm. And my roofer, I've referred him to tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars in work. And I've paid him over $200,000 over 12 years. So my bonus to him is he does a good job for me at a fair price, and I give him more business and I give him his name to everyone I know. We are exactly
1: on the same page there, sir. <laughs> exactly. The bonus is you get more work, and I'll share your name, right. right? I'll share your name and phone number with colleagues who come to me saying I need a guy who's not you know, completely addicted yet and you know <laughs> is gonna do a good job and show up sober and that kind of thing, right? And when
3: I go to the Real Estate Investor Association every year when we do our who's our good contractor list that gets uh-huh. offered to all our members, you know, my good guys are on it, and and they get lots of referrals. So, and and I've only really had the penalty issue come up a few times, uh, and it it helped me. So I like that. If they, you know, if you don't have a contract and you get one from your contractor, look it over. You know, it's not the end of the world to use theirs, but yours. You might want to go to the real library, and find one that's that's supporting the owner and not the contractor yeah because every contract's got a little bit of slant one way or the other and i want it slanting my way especially if i'm the one writing it and i'm the one paying for it
1: i i agree our our contract is not egregious or anything i mean i want to be fair but if there has to be a default you know i know i'm a reasonable guy right so i want it to default a little bit a little bit to to my side this kind of lends itself because these two are so intertwined with the concept of liens and lien waivers um, what uh give us give us the 10,000 foot view of that and then kind of your day-to-day work there
3: a lien waiver is a contractor saying i've been paid for this work and i hereby agree i will not put a lien on your property and if you're doing a a $10,000 job, and you're going to get four twenty-five dollars progress payments, then as you do them, you get a waiver saying, I am now paid for all the work I've done up to this day, and the mm-hmm. contractor signs it. And that way, if you have a falling out tomorrow, he can't say he you owe him money, and he can't say, I'm going to go to the courthouse and put a lien on your property, because you're going to go to the court and say, Your Honor, yesterday he signed a lien waiver saying he's current, and that's when I paid him, and now he's coming up with all these problems. And he, should, you know, he signed his waiver; he doesn't have a right to lean my property. And that's that's the only reason we do lien waivers. And again, I do them when I'm working on bigger jobs with contractors I don't know and trust. And, and in the beginning, I did them on everything. Uh, and as I, if I was going to hire a guy to do a something that's a one-time job, a concrete job, a retaining wall job, and I'm going to give him partial payments i'm going to use the lien waiver i have a stack of them in my car and and when i need one i i pull it out it's a simple one page form Mm -hmm. and usually they look at you like oh i haven't seen one of those in a while and they sign (laughs) it because they want to get that check that you're holding because on one hand you got the lien waiver in the other hand you got the check yeah and they don't get the check till they sign the lien waiver sure i dig that Uh, um let me you you kind of just let me go
1: a little off script if i may because you just uh you just kind of tripped something over my in my brain when you said, you know, when you're dealing with a contractor that you don't know and trust. And I, I want to kind of hammer this point and make it clear because I know like you've been dealing with your lead guy forever and you kind of brought him up a little bit in the business. And I understand that relationship. But so a, a contractor that I know and trust. So if I'm hiring my brother-in-law or buddy from high school, it doesn't sound like I need a contract, right?
3: No, I didn't say that.
1: Oh, uh, your brother let's dig in there a little. And your buddy bit.
3: from high school. How many, you know, have they done $180,000 in work for you in the last 3 years that you can trust them? Well, no, but he's my boy. Yeah. You know, he would not you know, this is this well, is I always all blame good. my partner or my client or the property owner and say they require me to do this, company policy is we have to do this, or I would say to them, listen, I have to I do this cuz you and I this document's going to keep us friends because if we have a problem this is how we're going to solve it i don't want to risk our friendship or our relationship brother to brother because we had a falling out over you don't work for me the contract is is both of our friends
1: i i agree and that's why i i'm glad i'm glad we're there because <laughs> I, I was i was just toying with you a little bit it is my opinion it is my stronger than opinion my informed opinion that If you have any kind of relationship with the other person, your friends, your relatives, your whatever, it becomes even more vital to have a detailed and explicit contract. And don't let them get offended at that idea of, oh, hey, you don't trust me or whatever. And maybe just explain to them, I love the idea of blaming someone else, right? Hey, this just, you know, my partner is an angry six-foot redhead, and she requires that I do things this way. Um, But the, especially when you know the person, there is so much more room for misunderstanding. And I know that seems counterintuitive, but you must explain everything in detail and get everything hammered out while we're all still friends, while everyone's happy. Work out all the details in advance and get it in writing so that everyone's memory is malleable, right? Right. Yours, mine, you know, Mike the Engineer is everyone. So let's get it all codified and recorded. I don't mean recorded at the courthouse, but I mean written down so that if there's a conflict, we can, instead of this turning into a fight, we can just go back and look at the contract. And I can
3: be like, well, Jim, look, it says right here. you know. Well, that goes to one of the key things in the contract besides payment schedules and who's doing what, is what is supposed to be done or what we call the statement of work or the scope of work. Mm -hmm. And the more detail that goes into that, the better for everybody involved for a couple reasons. One, especially for someone who doesn't do this all the time, it makes you think through exactly what you want. So you don't get the job done and it's not really what you expected because you had an idea in your head and your contractor had an idea in his head And he thought he did what you wanted, but you didn't, you know, it it might be what paint color, what kind of paint. I want, you know, flat on the walls or I want a semi, uh, I want a satin on the wall that's washable. Mm -hmm. Uh, I want, you know, flat white on the ceiling. I want semi-gloss white trim. Uh, I want this color in this room and this color in that room. I want this kind of stuff so that you don't come in and find your house and say, wait a minute, I didn't want these boring 4 by 4 white tiles in the bathroom. I wanted that 12 by 12 stuff that looks so cool. And the contractor said, oh, you didn't tell me that. I had a bunch of this in the garage. I just used it. Yeah. <laughs> and now you, you know, either have a choice of ripping out the tile mm-hmm. or keeping a white vanilla shower that you really wanted to have something a little bit snazzier for. Mm, good point. So the more you take that time up front, the easier it is for the other guy. To do what you asked them to do, because you've told them, and you, assumptions are always the, the the troublemaker in this business. Because I thought I knew what you wanted. Well, no, that's not you thought wrong, and mm. and you know that's where those relationships starts breaking down.
1: Yeah, I agree. Good, well said. By the way, well said. All right, we're gonna take a we're gonna take a final little break while Mike does some stuff and reports on some stuff, and we'll be back in just a second. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I am Mr. Drew sitting in for Vina Jones-Cox just because she wanted to be able to listen to my dulcet tones on the podcast over and over and over again. I am joined by Jim Shapiro, realtor, investor, manager, general contractor, all-around good guy who is in here with us today talking about uh, how to keep contractors under control, um, how to beat them down when appropriate? Uh, no, I'm kidding. Jim is actually a very reasonable guy, and I think that's one of the reasons that he is successful at this business. So uh, let's uh, let's get into. We were talking about kind of pay and contracts and draws and that kind of thing. Um, I I hear about this a lot. Would you would you ever pay a contractor by the hour? And what would be those circumstances? Because I know that's not the norm, right? But sometimes, what else are you going to do?
3: I feel like when you pay someone by the hour, you're motivating them to work slowly. hmm And if I think a job's a $40 job, then I want to pay $40. And I don't want them to take four hours and bill me you know, $80 for that 40-hour job because they they can. Uh so I don't generally pay by the hour. I just feel it's not the kind of – now, my my general – my contractors, they may pay their guys that way, although most of them don't. Yeah. So, some do, and some take the same attitude that I think you know, I'm asking you to paint a room, paint five rooms. This is what I think that's worth. I've done it a thousand times. And if you want to work slowly, great. You want to take 10-minute cigarette breaks every half hour. I'm not going to be happy about that, but I'm not going to pay you to go do it. So I'm I'm a I'm not a fan of paying by the hour. Uh, one of the oh by the way this subject uh, tomorrow is the Real Estate Investor Association of Greater Cincinnati, uh, regular meeting uh, at six from six to nine May fifth at the uh, Crown Plaza in Blue Ash. Yeah, a uh, new location, new location, a nice we're, new location. You know, we're meeting there now. Uh, we'll be meeting there for at least the next year and we're real excited about that. Uh, at 6 o'clock, there's a gentleman talking about appraisals, and at 7.30, I'm doing 90 minutes on managing contractors. So I'm going to go through in great detail the contents of a contra- of an independent contractor services agreement and a lien waiver and a lot more than we're having time to talk about today. Oh, good. I look forward to that. Uh, one of the key things that I learned, I, an expensive lesson early on, I, you know, you bid a job and there's, you know, Fifteen thousand dollars in work, mm-hmm. and then at the end of the job, you realize you've written twenty three thousand dollars in checks because <laughs> the job right? and and it's like where did that extra? And I, I I learned a lesson having had a couple of big ones like that. Uh, when I take is a fifteen thousand dollar job. On the back of that agreement, I put fifteen thousand, and every time I write a check, I write down you know three thousand, the check number, the date, balance twelve thousand. And if I get a change order, we add some extra work. I add a you know three thousand back in somewhere, so it goes from twelve back to fifteen. And I know where I am at every step. I can look on one piece of paper, and, and my contractor's got a copy of that too. And we know where we are on that budget for the labor portion of that job. And that is a simple. Doesn't have to be complicated. I try to know that I'm. There's more work to be done than I. Excuse me. There's less work to be done than I owe that. I'm a little ahead of him. Uh-huh. Always. So I always owe him a little bit. Uh, and I want him to be able to – he's got to pay his guys on Friday. And some guys are big enough they can carry a week or two and some can't. Uh, but it's a simple process for keeping track. And then I go look at the jobs. You now, if you're giving – if you're meeting people, if you're paying for work, go look at it. And what I tell people about that is two things will happen when you walk in the property. First – Everyone will want to see what you think, because you're the guy mm-hmm. paying, so they all care. They all want to kiss your butt and make you feel great, and the and the boss will stop work, and he will stand with you. Yes. If you go for an hour, he'll stand and talk to you for an hour. Suddenly,
1: we're having a consultation instead all of right. me just coming by, and I, I absolutely loathe that. I went to a job the other day where I'm doing a pretty big renovation down in Northside, and not only... Did the boss walk around with me? It's like we had a trail of ducklings behind right. us, and I'm like, shouldn't these guys be working
3: yeah. on something? You know, ah. So be careful. And, and some owners they want to go see every day. They're going by from three to four or three to five every day, keeping an eye on things. And what you what I learned, you know, is really whenever I'm there, productivity drops off. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to make sure the other guys are working. If the boss, you know, if I need to talk to the foreman. Great. I'll talk to him. He, he'll feel like it's his responsibility to give me attention.
1: Yeah, to kind of pow out with know, you a little and,
3: bit. And so if I spend an hour, he'll spend an hour talking to me. If I spend two hours, unless I tell him, go back to work, I'm doing something, he'll keep talking to me and, and it'll be a real drain on the pr- production and the job. Because often the boss is also the highest skilled at the most difficult tasks and I want him doing those tasks and not talking to me
1: yeah i do yeah so so let's see when when you have maybe a, a smaller property owner or someone starting out uh he might only have one or two properties or something like that but he needs he he's still going to need something i mean assuming this isn't a guy who's going to do it all himself or he recognizes that there are some things that he's not capable of doing he obviously doesn't have the kind of weight that you're going to swing. We, you basically have a contractor who, you know, you you absorb almost all of his time and attention, right? How does that guy even talk to these guys, or should he be, like, looking for a local handyman, the handy hairy guy, or, you know, what's, what's this guy's best policy?
3: Uh, a handyman kind of... Person who can go and do a routine plumbing and do a routine electric and change a light and fix a fan and is a great resource. Whether it's a you know a handyman you find from I, Craigslist is a great way to find contractors, as long as you then screen them and get references, um, and recent references and and like screening. We talked about that to start things off. Mm-hmm. Uh, having a handyman who can do a little of this and a little of that and does a good job and is responsive, I don't know how you would do it without that. So unless you're, and if you're having to hire big companies to do little things, you're going to pay a real lot of money. Mm-hmm. The handyman will be the much, much much more effective. Come to me and ask other people. I, I need a handyman. Who do you use to do your routine plumbing Someone stuff? to
1: light a water heater well, or unclog right. a drain or change a lock or something like that.
3: And, and some of that, sometimes it's worth it to do it yourself because it gets you in the house to see what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you want to go into that tenant's house, they want a 24-hour notice. They want this and that. But if their hot water heater needs to be lit, they'll let you in right <laughs> away. And then while you're there, ask for a drink of water. Ask to go to the bathroom. And now you're seeing the kitchen and the bathroom. Uh, and ask if there's anything else, you know, and, gee, can I take a quick look around? Anything else I need to do? Any doorknobs loose?
1: Yeah, let me Cab- make a list real quick. Cabinets that need, need to be
3: tightened up. Because those are little things that tenants won't bother to tell you. And then when the doorknob breaks off and they kick the door open because their kid got locked in the bedroom, now you've got you know, a couple hundred dollar repair because they didn't tighten the two screws on the back of the doorknob. Hmm. And now the door's broken, the frame's broken, you need a knob, you know, and that sort of stuff. You walk in and you see, gee, they change the light bulbs and then put the globes back up, and if you catch that stuff. Before those parts get lost, you can do something about them. Uh, once they say, "Oh, you know that globe was around here," but then it was on the table, and my son knocked it off and it broke. Well, sure. you know, take twenty dollars to Home Depot and get another one.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay, fair enough. Um, do we should we continue on? Yeah, we got, we a, got a couple to, more we got minutes a here. Time. Um, so, okay, let's uh, let's go a little meta here. What are your like top warnings? What are some of your biggest warnings about hiring contractors? You know, if you had to. Gasp out something before your eminent death to save your children from hiring bad contractors. You know, what would that
3: be? Again, it's kind of like tenants. You look at their car, when a tenant shows up and the car is a wreck and messed and trash and filled with garbage, you can figure that's going to do your house. The contractor, and a lot of contractors are like that all the time, you have to be careful you don't overjudge based on appearances. Mm-hmm. And, and if you saw my regular guys, they wouldn't impress you, but they do the best work. Yeah. And and you know, I also don't like to see well the, wait the fancy be, truck. Before, yeah that's what I was going to say. I don't want to see the fancy truck and the uniform. When some it, guy shows up in a
1: $50,000 truck, I'm like I can't I can't afford right. you.
3: I can't afford <laughs> you. Or or that you see the company's got a fleet of trucks and every worker's got a uniform mm-hmm. and they're paying Sintas to come wash their uniforms. Yeah. Uh you know the biggest uniform I want to see is a t-shirt with the company name on it. <laughs> uh yeah, and I would like to see contractors that don't look horrible because they're going in our customers' homes. Yeah. I don't want to see them dirty and smelly and torn clothes. Uh, at the same time, uh, I'm really more worried about how they interact with people and, and how they communicate. And and one of the other things, you know, here's an important thing for contractors. Have some rules. Uh, I don't want contractors in homes with minor children without an adult present. Yeah. I don't want contractors, you know, Certainly no drinking and no drugs. if I find those sorts of things, you start going downstairs and you see a bottle of whiskey up in the rafters, which i've seen uh, you have to, you know that's that's a no no uh contractors drinking you know then getting on ladders you know that's a lawsuit waiting to happen absolutely uh, contractors drinking and just doing sloppy work because they're drunk, so you know sometimes you want to show up at your jobs unexpectedly and and and, and always be looking for things because sure. the the times I find, you know, they don't leave the six-pack sitting on the kitchen table. Yeah. <laughs> you know? But down in the basement under, in a plastic bag, oh, look, there's some there's some beers. Oh, there's a someone left this here. There. Oh, I, I'd know? better
1: dispose of this.
3: Right. Uh, you know, and, and obviously drugs are a, a real no-no. Mm-hmm. Uh, so be careful about the, the kind of things that you're, the kind of people you're, because in our business as in renters, we're going to our tenant's homes. Yeah. And uh, we have to be extra careful
1: Well, well said. All right. Thank you, Jim. Thanks so much for coming out and spending part of your evening with us. Thank you for joining me. Listeners, Vena will be back next week to help put you on the path to financial independence and to just shower you with love and affection. Until then, happy investing.